What's up, all y'all beautiful young people? Welcome to season two. Check your shelf. The viewers and the listeners have voted and they have decided that we're going to read Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye is an amazing coming of age tale of a young boy named Holden Caulfield. We're going to figure out how this young man finds his way through graduation and the purgatory between childhood and adulthood. If you want to have your voice heard and you want to have an opinion on what we read for season three, why don't you hop on over to facebook.com backslash check your shelf or you can hop up the discord right there at the top of the screen. Oh, my cam- my finger disappears behind my camera. Up at the top there, you can see a discord uh, a link. If you want to type that in, you can hop on in and talk with us there. And we're also doing a giveaway at the end of the season. $75 up for grabs. First place getting 50. Second place getting 25. Pay attention to the podcast. Answer three questions at the end of it. And I'm going to keep track. And I'm going to give the best one. $50. And 25 to second place. So. Not much else to say about the book. Other than there's going to be a lot of swear words. A little bit of prostitution. A lot of underage drinking and a lot of angst and shitty decisions made by a shitty teenager. But, this is Check Your Shelf, baby. Season 2. Welcome back. Haven't really read this book since I was, um, what, high school, right? So 16, 17, I think, probably 10th grade. I'm excited to get into this, man. Let's uh, let's hop right into it. 1951, Catcher in the Rye. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap, but I don't feel like going into it. If you want to know the truth, Oh, so let me let me run that back. And all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it, if you want to know the truth. In the first place, that stuff bores me. And in the second place, my parents would have about two hemorrhages apiece if I told them if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all, I'm not saying that, but they're also touchy as hell. Besides, I'm not going to tell you about my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas. Just before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. I mean, that's all I told DB about, and he's my brother and all. He's in Hollywood. That isn't too far from this crummy place, and he goes over and visits me practically every weekend. He's going to drive me home when I get home next month, maybe. He just got a Jaguar. One of those little English jobs that can do around 200 miles an hour. It cost him damn near 4,000 bucks. He's got a lot of dough now. He didn't used to. He used to just be a regular writer when he was home. He wrote this terrific book of short stories, The Secret Goldfish, in case you ever heard of him. The best one in it was The Secret Goldfish. It was about this little kid that wouldn't let anybody look at his goldfish because he bought it with his own money. It killed me. 
Now he's out in Hollywood, DB, being a prostitute. If there's one thing I hate, it's the movies. Don't even mention them to me. Great opening paragraph. I mean, it really sets the tone of who this kid is. Um, so you'll notice that he's kind of... <clears throat> he's speaking about himself and the story. So what that says to me and what's... Pro- I don't know why I keep touching this part of the mic in case I want to move it or something. This mic's, this mic's new, so... I look weird on camera. I gotta keep my hand in my pocket, bruh. But, um... Really sets the tone for who Holden Caulfield is. Um, and it's also kind of letting you know that he's retelling his own story. So there's going to be a sort of a lot of personal bias in this book. You have to understand that this book is being told by Holden Caulfield. And no spoilers, but uh, you'll understand why he's telling this and the circumstances that involve it if you decide to follow through to the end of the book. Where I want to start telling is the day I left Pensy Prep. Pensy Prep is this school that's in Agerstown, Pennsylvania. You've probably heard of it. You've probably seen the ads, anyway. They advertise in about a thousand magazines, always showing some hotshot guy on a horse jumping over a fence. Like, as if all you ever did at Pensy was play polo all the time. I never even once saw a horse anywhere near the place. And underneath the guy on the horse's picture, and underneath the guy, oh, yeah, see, I'm, I'm dumb, I can't read. And underneath the guy on the horse's picture, it always says, since 1888, we have been molding boys into splendid, clear, th- oh, sorry, let me hop back real quick. I also want to point out, uh, I forgot to mention this, uh, he got a Jaguar, one of those little English jobs they can do around 200 miles an hour. It cost him damn near 4,000 bucks. Dude, if I could buy a Jaguar that went 200 miles an hour for 4,000, I would probably do it tomorrow. I'll max out all my credit cards, I'm gonna go take out a loan, spend every dollar I got. I got about four grand. I'll buy a Jaguar right now. Anyway, since 1888, we have been molding boys into splendid, clear-thinking young men. Strictly for the birds. They don't do any damn more molding at Pensy than they do at any other school. And I didn't know anybody there that was splendid and clear-thinking and all. Maybe two guys, if that many. And they probably came to Pensy that way. Anyway, it was the Saturday of the football game with Saxon Hall. The game with Saxon Hall was supposed to be a very big deal around Pensy. It was the last game of the year, and you were supposed to commit suicide or something if old Pensy didn't win. I remember around 3 o'clock that afternoon, I was standing way the hell up on top of Thompson Hill, right next to this crazy cannon that was in the Revolutionary War and all. You could see the whole field from there, and you could see the two teams bashing each other all over the place. You couldn't see the grandstand too hot, but you could hear them all yelling, deep and terrific on the Pensy side, because practically the whole practically the whole school except for me was there. Ah oh, man, I'm gonna get canceled for this shit, bro. I can't. I, I I'm going to read the book. I I bruh. Listen. 
I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the F words. I'm gonna say the N words. I think that's the that's the decision I have to make given the content of this podcast. So I will put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, but you're gonna hear some shit, bro. You couldn't see the grandstand too high, but you could hear them all yelling, deep and terrific on the Pensy side, because practically the whole school except me was there, and scrawny and faggy on the Saxon Hall side, because the visiting team hardly ever brought that many people with them. There were never many girls at the football games. Only seniors were allowed to bring girls with them. It was a terrible school no matter how you looked at it. I like to be somewhere at least where you can see a few girls around every once in a while, even if they're only scratching their arms or blowing their noses or even just giggling or something. Old Selma Thurmer. She was the headmaster's daughter. Showed up at the games quite often, but she wasn't exactly the type that drove you mad with desire. She was a pretty nice girl, though. I sat next to her once on the bus from Agerstown, and we sort of struck up a conversation. I liked her. She had a big nose, and all her nails were bitten down and bleedy-looking. She had on those damn falsies that point all over the place, but you felt sort of sorry for her. What I liked about her, she didn't give you a lot of horse manure about what a great guy her father was. She probably knew what a phony slob he was. Ooh, I just got a good idea. Bear with me for a second. I remember this word, phony, being used so frequently that when they did that little joke on, when they did that little joke on uh, Family Guy, he's such a phony, look at this phony. You remember that? So what I'm gonna do, is I'm gonna add a phony counter. Because every time I saw that Family Guy bit, it made me think of this stupid book that I enjoyed. So here we go, this is me putting it into my OBS. We got one phony we got one count of the phony we got one phony count we're gonna keep track of the phonies you know what I'm gonna say it right now this is canon this is going on record if you nah I'm not gonna do that cause you can just go in the book and count it that's gonna be cheating I was gonna say whoever gets closest to the amount of phonies at the end is gonna win some amount, some amount of money but y'all can just go count that shit this ain't my first rodeo, bro. I think of ideas and then I cancel them on the spot. She probably knew what a phony slob he was. Oh, right, so we're talking about, uh, so that chick, the headmaster's daughter, old Selma Thurmer. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me make sure I'm recording in Ableton. Yep, okay, paranoid, sorry. <clears throat> The reason I was standing way up on Thompson Hill instead of down at the game was because I just got back from New York with the fencing team. I was the goddamn manager of the fencing team. Very big deal. We'd gone into New York that morning for this fencing meet with McBurney School, only we didn't have the meet. I left all the foils and equipment and stuff on the goddamn subway. 
It wasn't all my fault. I had to keep getting up to look at this map so we'd know where to get off. So we got back to Pansy around 2.30 instead of around dinner time. The whole team ostracized me the whole way back on the train. It was pretty funny in a way. The other reason I wasn't down at the game was because I was on my way to say goodbye to old Spencer, my history teacher. He had the gripe. I guess that's a... Let's do a little goog. Let's do a little goog. Let's do a quick goog. Uh, it's not going to show up on stream because I don't actually have it set up for anything but the PDF right now. But I can do that real quick and it's going to be an edit. It's going to be an edit. So, we got a quick goog here. What the fuck was it? He had the grip. What the fuck is grip, bruh? Grip definition in English. Grip symptoms. Oh, it's the fucking flu. He died of the flu. Grip is flu. Nice, fun, quick goog. The other reason I wasn't down at the game was because I was on my way to say goodbye to my old, to old Spencer, my history teacher. He had the flu. And I figured I probably wouldn't see him again until Christmas vacation started. He wrote me this note saying he wanted to see me before I went home. He knew I wasn't coming back to Pensy. Oh, I forgot to tell you about that. <clears throat> they kicked me out. I wasn't supposed to come back. I'm going to redo that because I coughed. I forgot to tell you about that. They kicked me out. I wasn't supposed to come back after Christmas vacation on account of I was flunking four subjects and not applying myself and all. They gave me frequent warning to start applying myself, especially around midterms, when my parents came up for a conference with old Thurmer. But I didn't do it. So I got the axe. They gave guys the axe quite frequently at Pensy. It had a very good academic rating, Pensy. It really does. Anyway, it was December and all, and it was cold as a witch's teat. Especially on top of that stupid hill. I only had all my reversible, and no gloves or anything. The week before that, somebody had stolen my camel's hair coat right out of my room. With my fur-lined gloves, ribbity ribbity baby. With my fur-lined gloves right in the pocket and all. Pensy was full of crooks. Only a few guys, quite a few guys, came from these very wealthy families, but it was full of crooks anyway. The more expensive a school is, the more crooks it has. And I'm not kidding. Anyway. Maybe I feel like we need to keep an anyway counter. I feel like this dude uses anyway a lot to bridge gaps. This is like the third anyway I remember. Anyway, I kept standing next to that crazy cannon. Looking down at the game and freezing my ass off. Only I wasn't watching the game too much. What I was really hanging around for... I was trying to feel some kind of, I was trying to feel some kind of a goodbye. I mean, I've left schools and places I didn't even know I was leaving them, and I hate that. I don't care if it's a sad goodbye or a bad goodbye, but when I leave a place, I like to know I'm leaving it. If you don't, you feel even worse. It's interesting that right away he's uh he's pointing out that um. The more expensive a school is, the more crooks it has. 
um, I have noticed that some of the women I, I dated um, were a little bit wealthier than than I was, and um, <clears throat> when that was when I, I would stay in their dorm rooms, and man, I tell you what, the amount of just drama and whether it was rumors of sex crimes or violent crimes, but it was a lot of theft, man. A lot of theft, bro. I'm talking full-on MacBooks and everything. So. I can definitely picture... I, I, I'm picturing Pensy. Like, I can picture it in my head, you know? Um, think of, I'm thinking like a, a... Definitely like a religious private school these days, you know, St. Francis was the uh, <clears throat> one that my ex-girl went to and man, these kids are fucking, they're wild, bro <sighs> but another nice little insight to, to Holden Caulfield here what I was really hanging out for I was trying to feel some kind of a goodbye I've left schools and places I didn't even know I was leaving, and I hate that. So, that to me speaks of his just desire to maybe even just be recognized, you know? Like, hey man, I'm leaving. Can you just, can we just talk? Can you just acknowledge that I exist, please? You know what I mean? Good in, A good insight. A lot of, lot of good little subtle insights here into who Holden Caulfield is setting the tone very well for this book I'm already pretty invested I was lucky all of a sudden I thought of something that helped make me know I was getting the hell out I suddenly remembered this time in around October that I and Robert Tickner and Paul Campbell were chucking a football around in the front of the academic building. They were nice guys, especially Tickner. It was just before dinner and it was getting pretty dark out, but we kept chucking the ball around anyway. It kept getting darker and darker and we could hardly see the ball anymore, but we didn't want to stop doing what we were doing. Finally, we had to. This teacher that taught biology, Mr. Zambisi, stuck his head out the window in the academic building and told us Go back to the dorm and get ready for dinner. If that happened in a if that happened on a 2022 campus, <clears throat> these kids would be like, "Fuck you, teach." Plus, we got glowing, glowing, whistling Nerf balls, boy. If I get a chance to remember that kind of stuff, I can get a goodbye when I need one. At least, at least most of the time, I can. As soon as I got it, I turned around and started running down the other side of the hill toward old Spencer's house. He didn't live on the campus. He lived on Anthony Wayne Avenue. I wonder, I wonder, I'm not a writer. I wonder if he wrote Anthony Wayne Avenue because it's a real street, because that's the name of one of his friends, or if he just made up a street name that he used to, you know, that he knows just so he could give it a little bit more imagery. I ran all the way to the main gate, and then I waited a second till I got my breath. I have no wind if you want to know the truth. I'm quite a, I'm quite a heavy smoker. 
I'm quite a heavy smoker for one thing, and that is I used to be. They made me cut it out. Another thing, I grew six and a half inches last year. That's also how I practically got TB and came out here for all these goddamn checkups and stuff. I'm pretty healthy though. Is, is he just casually mentioned, like, is he just casually throwing around tuberculosis? This, I mean, is that just a reference to how dramatic this kid is, right? I practically got tuberculosis, dude. We got another anyway. Anyway, as soon as I got my breath back, I ran across Route 204. It was icy as hell, and I damn near fell down. I don't even know what I was running for. I guess I just felt like it. After I got across the road, I felt like I was sort of disappearing. It was that kind of crazy afternoon, terrifically cold, and no sun out or anything. And you felt like you were disappearing every time you crossed a road. Boy, I rang that doorbell fast when I got to old Spencer's house. I was really frozen. My ears were hurting and I could hardly move my fingers at all. Come on, come on! I said right out loud almost. Somebody open the door! Finally, Miss Spencer opened it. I didn't have a, they didn't have a maid or anything, and they always opened the door themselves. They didn't have too much dough. <laughs> I'm imagining J.D. Salinger was not a teenager when he wrote this, you know? So, like, seeing, seeing him, <laughs> like, he clearly wrote that line just to really emphasize the fact that this is a young kid, right? I think that's pretty cool. Holden, Miss Spen Mrs. Spencer said. How lovely to see you. Come in, dear. Are you frozen to death? I think she was glad to see me. She liked me. At least I think she did. Boy, did I get in that house fast. How are you, Mrs. Spencer? I said, how's Mr. Spencer? Let me take your coat, dear, she said. She didn't hear me ask her how Mr. Spencer was. She was sort of deaf. She hung my coat up in the hall closet and I sort of brushed my hair back with my hand. I wear a crew cut quite frequently and I never have to comb it much. How have you been, Mrs. Spencer? I said again, only louder so she'd hear me. I've been just fine, Holden. She closed the closet door. How have you been? The way she asked me, I knew right away. Old Spencer told her I'd been kicked out. Fine, I said. How's Mr. Spencer? He over his gripe yet? Over it? Holden, he's behaving like a perfect... I don't know what. He's in his room, dear. Go right in. Yeah, the first thing I'm dying to do is go into a room where a person has a deadly flu in the 50s. Yikes. Well, that brings up, that rounds out chapter one. And I, like I said, I think the only thing that we're doing here is setting the tone for who this kid is and the things that he's sort of kind of like attached to in almost a dreamy sort of way. So he's got this sort of um, interesting relationship with his teacher, Mr. Spencer. And while possibly on his deathbed, he's decided to go across town and visit his old boy. Sorry for the hiccup. But yeah, I'm gonna go take a little a little tinkle and we're gonna get into the chapter two. They each had their own room and all. 
They were both around 70 years old or even more than that. They got a bang out of things though, in a half-assed way of course. I know that sounds mean to say, but I don't mean it mean, I just, I mean that I used to think about old Spencer quite a lot, and if you thought about him too much, you, you wondered what the heck he was still living for. I mean, he was all stooped over, he had very terrible posture, and in class whenever he dropped a piece of chalk at the blackboard, some guy in the first row always had to get up and pick it up and hand it to him. That's awful in my opinion, but if you thought about it, if you thought about him just, just enough and not too much, you could figure it out that he wasn't doing too bad for himself. For instance, one Sunday when some other guys and I were over there for hot chocolate, he showed us this old beat up blanket that he and Mrs. Spencer had bought off some Indian in Yellowstone Park. You could tell old Spencer got a big bang out of buying it, and that's what I mean. You could take somebody old as hell like Spencer, and they can get a big bang out of buying a blanket. Well, first of all, buying blankets is fire. Maybe that dates me. Maybe I'm old too, bro, but fuck this dumbass teenager talking about not getting a kick out of buying Dude, if I buy a dope-ass blanket, especially like an old Indian Navajo fucking... I'm gonna be excited. I'm gonna sleep with that thing for a couple years. Get off my grass, Holden. You kids don't know anything about music. His door was open, but I sort of knocked on it anyway just to be polite and all. I could see where he was sitting. He was sitting in a big leather chair all wrapped up in that blanket I just told you about. He looked over at me when I knocked. Who's that? He yelled. Caulfield? Come in, boy. He was always yelling outside class. It got on your nerves sometimes. The minute I went in, I was sort of sorry I'd come. He was reading the Atlantic Monthly and there were pills and medicine all over the place and everything smelled like Vic's nose drops. It was pretty depressing. I'm not too crazy about sick people anyway. What made it even more depressing, old Spencer had on this very sad, ratty old bathrobe that he was probably born in or something. I don't much like to see old guys in their pajamas and bathrobes anyways. Their bumpy old chests are always showing, and their legs. Old guys' legs at the beaches and places always look so white and unhairy. Hello, sir, I said. I got your note. Thanks a lot. He'd written me this note asking me to stop by and say goodbye before vacation started, on account of I wasn't coming back. You didn't have to do all that. I'd have come over to say goodbye anyway. Have a seat there, boy, old Spencer said. He meant on the bed. I sat down on it. How's your flu, sir? My boy, if I felt any better, I'd have to send for the doctor, old Spencer said. That knocked him out. He started chuckling like a madman. Then he finally straightened himself out and said, Why aren't you down at the game? I thought this was the day of the big game. It is. I was. Only, I just got back from New York with the fencing team, I said. Boy, his bed was like a rock. He started getting serious as hell. 
I knew he would. You're leaving us, eh? He said. Yes, sir, I am. He started going into this nodding routine. You never saw anybody nod as much in your life as old Spencer did. You never knew if he was nodding a lot because he was thinking at all or just because he was a nice old guy that didn't know his ass from his elbow. Fun little, fun little, like, he's retelling this story, right? So, like, it's fun to kind of, like, look back and I don't actually know how much time has passed. Um, Like, because remember, he's telling this story from the present day about the past so it's fun to see that even while he's recollecting this story he's still a little bit of a fucking little twat you know what I'm saying but what did Mr. what did Dr. Thurmer say to you boy I understand you had quite a little chat yes we did we really did I was in his office for around two hours I guess what did he say to you oh well about life being a game and all and how you should play it according to the rules. He was pretty nice about it. I mean, he didn't hit the ceiling or anything. He just kept talking about life being a game and all, you know. Life is a game, boy. Life is a game that one plays according to the rules. Yes, sir. I know it is. I know it. (laughs) Game my ass. Some game. If you get on the side where all the hot shots are, then it's a game. All right, I'll admit that. But if you get on the other side, then there aren't any hot shots. Then what's a game about it? Nothing. No game. Has Dr. Thurmer written to your parents yet? Old Spencer asked me. Um, he said he was going to write them on Monday. Have you communi- Have you yourself communicated with them? Um, no, sir, I haven't communicated with them because I'll probably see them Wednesday night when I get home. Um, okay, so that's interesting a little bit, right? So, so he hasn't, so we're going to assume that what this happened on Friday or some shit at the most recent. So Dr. Thurmer is going to write to the parents and the kid says, well, he's going to write to them on Monday. But but Holden hasn't told his parents yet because he'll see them on Wednesday. So not only is Holden unable to communicate this with him the night it happens, he's not going to see them through the weekend on Monday and not until Wednesday night when he gets home. So again, that's a kind of a good, a, a nice little insight into the sort of environment and situation that Holden resides in, right? And how do you think they'll take the news? Well, I think they'll be pretty irritated about it, I said. They really will. This is about the fourth school I've gone to. I shook my head. I shake my head quite a lot. Boy, I said. I also say boy quite a lot. Partly because I have a lousy vocabulary, and partly because I act quite young. I act partly because I act quite young for my age sometimes. I was 16 then, and I'm 17 now, and sometimes I act like I'm about 13. Okay, so. Alright, so we see here that he's. It's only been a year or so since this has had. 
it's only been a year or so since this has happened. Um, but even he admits himself that he is acting a little immature. It's funny to me because I'm 32. When I was 29, I'm still pretty much the same person I am now. It's interesting to me that the author understands how how much can change in three years, especially for a teenager, right? It's a nice little... I like that. It's a nice little addition. I like that he did that. I was 16 then, and I'm 17 now. And sometimes I act like I'm 13. It's really ironical because I'm six foot two and a half, and I have gray hair. I really do. The one side of my head, the right side, is full of millions of gray hairs. I've had them ever since I was a kid. And yet, I still act sometimes like I was only about 12. Everybody says that, especially my father. It's partly true, too, but it isn't all true. People always think something's all true. I don't give a damn, except that I get bored sometimes when people tell me to act my age. Sometimes I act a lot older than I am. I really do, but people never notice it. People never notice anything. Old Spencer started nodding again. He also started picking his nose. He made out like he was only pinching it, but he was really getting the old thumb right in there. I guess he thought it was alright to do because it was only me that was in the room. I didn't care except that it's pretty disgusting to watch somebody pick their nose. Then he said, I had the privilege of meeting your mother and dad when they- Ugh. Mother and dad. Ugh, that sounds gross. I hate the way that rolls off the tongue. Then he said, I had the privilege of meeting your mother and father when they had their little chat with Dr. Thurmer some weeks ago. They're grand people. Yes, they are. They're very nice. Grand. That's a word I really hate. It's a phony. I could puke every time I hear it. So that's our second phony counter. If you're watching the YouTube video, I didn't change it back because I had to re-record the last 20 minutes because I was overriding my previous record. Recording, I'm dumb, can't talk. But yeah, so uh, the phony counter is now at two. And we've had about nine anyways. So I could puke every time I hear it, the word phony. Then all of a sudden, Old Spencer looked like he had had. Then Old Spencer. Then, all of a sudden, Old Spencer looked like he had something very good, something sharp as a tack to say to me. He sat up more in his chair and sort of moved around. It was a false alarm, though. All he did was lift the Atlantic Monthly off his lap and try to chuck it on the bed next to me. He missed. It was only about two inches away, but he missed anyway. I got up and picked it up and put it down on the bed. All of a sudden, then, I wanted to get the hell out of the room. I could feel a terrific lecture coming on. I didn't mind the idea so much, but 
I didn't like being lectured. I didn't feel like being lectured to and smell Vic's nose drops and look at old Spencer in his pajamas and bathroom all at the same time. I really didn't. It started all right. What's the matter with you, boy? Old Spencer said. He said it pretty tough, too, for him. How many subjects did you carry this term? Five, sir. Five. And how many are you failing in? Four. I moved my ass a little bit on the bed. It was the hardest bed I ever sat on. I passed English all right, I said, because I had all that Beowulf and Lord Randall my son stuff when I was at the Wooten school. I mean, I didn't have to do any work in English at all, hardly, except write compositions once in a while. He wasn't even listening. He hardly ever listened to you when you said something. I flunked you in history because you knew absolutely nothing. I know that, sir. Boy, I know it. You couldn't help it. Absolutely nothing. He said over again, and that's something that drives me crazy. When people say something twice that way after you admit it the first time, and then he said it three times. But absolutely nothing. I doubt very much if you opened your textbook even once the whole term. Did you? Tell the truth, boy. Well, I sort of glanced through it a couple times, I told him. I didn't want to I didn't want to hurt his feelings. He was mad about history. You glanced through it, eh? He said, very sarcastic. Your uh, exam paper is over there on top of my chiffonier on top of the pile. Bring it here, please. It was a very dirty trick, but I went over and brought it over to him. I didn't have any alternative or anything. Then I sat down on his cement bed again. Boy, you can't imagine how sorry I was getting that I'd stopped by to see him. He started handling my exam paper like it was a turd or... Sorry, I hiccuped, but... He started handling my exam paper like it was a turd or something. I love that he used the word turd. I love that word so much. We'd studied the Egyptians from November 4th to November 2nd to December 2nd, he said. You chose to write about them for the optional essay question. Would you care to hear what you had to say? Um, no, sir, not very much, I said. He read it anyway, though. You can't stop a teacher when they want to do something. They just do it. The Egyptians were an ancient race of Caucasians residing in one of the northern sections of Africa. The latter, as we all know, is the largest continent in the Eastern Hemisphere. I had to sit there and listen to that crap. It certainly was a dirty trick. The Egyptians are extremely interesting to us for today for various reasons. Modern science would still like to know what the secret, secret ingredients were that the Egyptians used when they wrapped up dead people so that their faces would not rot for innumerable centuries. This interesting riddle is still quite a challenge to modern science in the 20th century. He stopped reading and put my paper down. I was beginning to sort of hate him. Your essay, shall we say, ends there. He said in this very sarcastic voice. You wouldn't think such an old guy would be so sarcastic and all. 
However, you dropped me a little note at the bottom of the page. I know I did, I said. I said it very fast because I wanted to stop him before he started reading that out loud. But you couldn't stop him. He was as hot as a firecracker. Dear Mr. Spencer, he read out loud. That is all I know about the Egyptians. I can't seem to get very interested in them, very interested in them, even though your lectures are very interesting. It is all right with me if you flunk me, though I am flunking everything else except English anyway. Respectfully yours, Holden Caulfield. He put my goddamn paper down then and looked at me like he'd just beaten hell out of me in ping pong. I don't think I'll ever forget him. I don't think I'll ever forgive him for reading me that crap out loud. I wouldn't have read it to him out loud if he'd written it. I really wouldn't. In the first place, I'd only written that damn note so he wouldn't feel too bad about flunking me. Do you blame me for flunking you, boy? He said. No, sir, I certainly don't, I said, and I'd wish to hell he'd stop calling me boy all the time. He tried chucking my exam paper on the bed when he was through with it, only he'd missed again, naturally. I had to get up again and pick it up and put it on top of the Atlantic Monthly. It's boring to do that every two minutes. What would you have done in my place? He said. Tell the truth, boy. Well, you could see he really felt lousy about flunking me, so... I shot the bull for a while. I told him I was a real moron and all that stuff. I told him how I would have done exactly the same thing if I'd been in his place and how most people didn't appreciate how tough it is being a teacher. You know, that kind of stuff. The old bull. The funny thing is, though, I was sort of thinking of something else while I shot the bull. I live in New York, and I was thinking about the lagoon in Central Park, down near Central Park South. I was wondering if it would be frozen over when I got home. And if it was, where did the ducks go? I was wondering where the ducks went when the lagoon got all icy and frozen over. I wonder, I wondered if some guy in a truck just came and took them all away to a zoo or something, or if they flew all away. I'm lucky though. I mean, I could shoot the old bull dispenser and think about those ducks at the same time. It's funny. You don't have to think too hard when you talk to a teacher. All of a sudden, though, he interpreted me while I was shooting the bull. Interrupted me. Sorry, I thought that said interpreting. He interrupted me while I was shooting the bull. He always interrupted you. How do you feel about all this, boy? I'd be very interested to know. Very interested. Um... I like... I like this little... When he talks about Central Park and the lagoon, I really like, I like how, I like how he took a a little, a little bit of time to, I like how the author took a little bit of time to make notice that Holden is worried about the ducks, you know, he doesn't seem to give Mr. Spencer a second thought. He doesn't seem to give all of these phonies 
a second thought. But he's thinking twice about the ducks. And that's kind of beautiful to me. It shows he has a little bit of, whether it's compassion or empathy or whatever, right? I think Holton has a couple of redeeming qualities, even though I kind of don't like him at all right now. How do you feel about all this, boy? I'd be very interested to know. Very interested. You mean about my flunking out of Pensy and all? I said. I sort of wish he'd cover up his bumpy chest. It wasn't such a beautiful view. See, exactly right there, right? So, like, we're not giving a second thought to anything, but there's, like, his whole, like, infatuation, obsession, disgust with this, like, dude's chest. Like, it's... That's good. This is good writing. This is good. This is a good book. I'm into it. I'm involved. If I'm not mistaken, I believe you also had some difficulty at the Wooten School and at Elkton Hills. He didn't say it just sarcastic, but sort of nasty, too. I didn't have too much difficulty at Elkton Hills, I told him. I didn't exactly flunk out or anything. I just quit, sort of. Why? May I ask? Why? Oh, well, it's a long story, sir. I mean, it's pretty complicated. I didn't feel like going into the whole thing with him. He wouldn't have understood it anyway. It wasn't up his alley at all. One of the biggest reasons I left Elkton Hills was because I was surrounded by phonies. That's all. They were coming in the goddamn window. For instance, they had this headmaster, Mr. Haas, that was the phoniest bastard I'd ever met in my life. I was gonna wait till the end of the, uh, I was gonna wait till the end of the paragraph, but we just got two phonies right there, so we're gonna bump that boy up to four. But Mr. Haas was the phoniest bastard I ever met in my life, ten times worse than old Thermer. On Sundays, for instance, Old Haas went around shaking hands with everybody's parents when they drove up to school. He'd be charming as hell and all, except if some boy had some little funny old looking parents, some, <laughs> except if some boy had little old funny looking parents. You should have seen the way he did with my roommate's parents. Hi, Charlie. Hi, baby. You want to read a book with me? Hi, honey. Except he'd be charming in hell as all. Uh, charming as hell and all. Except if some boy had little old funny looking pa- Why did you even- Why did you bother me then? Don't touch my elbow if you don't want to hang out. I hate cats. Just kidding. I love you, Charlie. You're my baby. Alright, where were we? I got distracted. He'd be charming as hell and all, except if some boy had little old funny-looking parents. You should have seen the way he did with my roommate's parents. I mean, if a boy's mother was sort of fat or orny-looking or something, and if somebody's father was one of those guys that wear those suits with the very big shoulders and corny black-and-white shoes, then old Haas would just shake hands- Oh, see, look at this little- look at this little typo right here! That says Hans, but it's Mr. Haas. Unless his name is Hans Haas, which is kind of fire, but... Anyway. 
Then old Haas would just shake hands with them and give them a phony smile. And he'd go talk for maybe a half an hour with somebody else's parents. I can't stand that stuff. Bumping the phony counter up to five. Not 45. My God, we're not there yet. It drives me crazy. It makes me so depressed I go crazy. I hated that goddamn Elkton Hills. Old Spencer asked me something then, but I didn't hear him. I was thinking about Old Haas. What, sir? I said. Do you have any particular qualms about leaving Pensy? Oh, I have a few qualms, all right, sure, but not too many. Not yet, anyway. I guess it hasn't really hit me yet. It takes things a while to hit me. All I'm doing right now is thinking about going home Wednesday. I'm a moron. Do you feel absolutely no concern for your future, boy? Oh, I feel some concern for my future, all right, sure. Sure I do. I thought about it for a minute. But not too much, I guess. Not too much, I guess. You will, old Spencer said. You will, boy. You will when it's too late. I didn't like hearing him say that. It, it made me sound dead or something. It was very depressing. I guess I will, I said. I'd like to put some hen... I'd like to put some sense in that head of yours, boy. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you if I can. He really was, too. You could see that, but... It was just that we were too much on opposite sides of the pole. That's all. I know you are, sir. I said, thanks a lot. No kidding, I appreciate it, I really do. I got up from the bed then. Boy, I couldn't have sat there another ten minutes to save my life. The thing is, though, I have to get going now. I have quite a bit of equipment at the gym I have to get to take home with me. I really do. He looked up at me and started nodding again with this very serious look on his face. I felt sorry as hell for him, all of a sudden. But I just couldn't hang around there any longer. The way we were on opposite sides of the pole, and the way he kept missing the bed whenever he chucked something at it, and his sad old bathrobe with his chest showing, and that grippy smell of Vic's nose drops all over the place. Look, sir, don't worry about me, I said. I mean it. I'll be alright. I'm just going through a phase right now. Everybody goes through phases and all, don't they? I don't know, boy. I don't know. I hate it when somebody answers that way. Sure. Sure they do. I mean... I mean it, sir. Please... Please don't worry about me. I sort of put my hand on his shoulder, okay? I said. Wouldn't you like a cup of hot chocolate before you go? Mrs. Spencer would be... I would! I really would, but the thing is, I have to get going. I have to go... I have to go to the gym. Thanks, though. I, thanks a lot, sir. Then we shook hands. All of that crap. It made me feel sad as hell, though. I'll drop you a line, sir. Take care of your grip now. Gripe? Grip? I still don't know how to pronounce it. Goodbye, boy. 
After I shut the door and started back to the living room, he yelled something at me, but I couldn't exactly hear me. Hear him. I'm pretty sure he yelled good luck at me. I hope to hell not. I'd never yell good luck at anybody. Sounds terrible when you think about it. Chapter 3. Had to go pour a drink and took a little dab real quick, but if I start coughing, you won't even know because I'm going to edit it out. Chapter 3. I'm the most terrific liar you ever saw in your life. It's awful. If I'm on my way to the store to buy a magazine even, and somebody asks me where I'm going, I'm liable to say I'm going to the opera. It's terrible. So when I told old Spencer I had to go to the gym and get my equipment and stuff, that was a sheer lie. I don't even keep my goddamn equipment in the gym. I like how he like... I like how the author kind of is overusing the profanity kind of like a teenager would. Very good writing. Where I lived at Pensy, I lived in the Ossenberger Memorial Wing of the New Dorms. It was only for juniors and seniors, and I was a junior, my roommate was a senior. It was named after this guy Ossenberger that went to Pensy. He made a pot of dough in the undertaking business after he got out of Pensy. What he did, he started these undertaking parlors all over the country that you could get members of your family buried for about five bucks a piece. You should see old Lawsonberger. He probably just shoves them in a sack and dumps them in the river. Anyway, he gave Pensy a pile of dough and they named our wing after him. The first football game of the year, he came up to the school in this big goddamn Cadillac and we all had to stand up in the grandstand and give him a locomotive. That's a cheer. And the next morning in chapel, he made us a, he made a speech that lasted about 10 hours. <coughs> a lot of typos in this book. I wonder if this PDF was translated or like um, transcribed or something and the guy who did it uh, did a bad job or something. But we got B made a speech that lasted about 10 hours. He made a pot of dough in the undertaking. I guess that could be just like slang type shit, but like... He made a lot of dough, is what I'm imagining what it should say. And then they named our wing Alter Him. Not after, Alter. They named our wing Alter Him. A lot of typos. Just a little, just strange. I don't know. The copywriters or the editors in the 50s were not great, I guess. Whatever. He made a speech that lasted about 10 hours. He started off with about 50 corny jokes just to show us what a regular guy he was. Very big deal. Then he started telling us about how he was never ashamed when he was in some kind of trouble or something to get right down on his knees and pray to God. He told us that we should always pray, pray to God, talk to him and all, wherever we, wherever we were. He told us we ought to think of Jesus as our buddy and all. He said he talked to Jesus all the time. Even when he was driving his car, that killed me. I just see the big phony bastard shifting in first gear and asking Jesus to send him a few more stiffs. Phony counters up to six. Let's go, baby. 
I'm gonna stop keeping track individually at some point. But maybe I won't. Maybe I take a drink every time they say phony. The only good part of his speech was right in the middle of it. He was telling us all about what a swell guy he was, what a hot shot and all. Then all of a sudden, this guy sitting in the row in front of me, Edgar Marsala, laid this terrific fart. It was a very crude thing to do in the chapel and all, but it was also quite amusing. Oh, Marsala, he damn near blew the roof off. Hardly anybody laughed out loud, and old Ossenberger made out like he didn't even hear it, but old Thurmer, the headmaster, was sitting right next to him on the rostrum. Didn't even hear- oh, on the rostrum and all- wait, what? Did I fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> and old Ossenberger made out like he didn't even hear it, but old Thurmer, the headmaster, was sitting right next to him on the rostrum and all, and you could tell he heard it. Boy, was he sore. He didn't say anything then. But the next night, he made us have compulsory study hall in the academic building, and he came up and made a speech. And he said that the boy that had created the disturbance in the chapel wasn't fit to go to Pensy. We tried to get old Marsala to rip off another one, right while old Thurmer was making his speech, but he wasn't in the right mood. Anyway, that's where I lived at Pensy. Old Ossenberger Memorial Wing in the new dorms. It was pretty nice to get back to my room after I left old Spencer. Because everybody was down at the game and the heat was on in our room for a change, it felt sort of cozy. I took off my coat and my tie and unbuttoned my shirt collar, and then I put on this hat that I had bought in New York that morning. It was this red hunting hat with one of those very, very long peaks. I saw it in the window of this sports store when we got out of the subway. Just after I'd noticed I'd lost all the goddamn foils, it only cost me a buck. The way I wore it, I swung the old peak way around to the back. Very corny, I'll admit, but I liked it that way. I looked good in it that way. Then I got this book I was reading and sat down in my chair. There were two chairs in every room. I had one, and my roommate, Ward Stradlater, God, what a m mouthful of a name for that guy, Jesus. <clears throat> I had one, and my roommate, Ward Stradlater, had one. I wish I could get the mic close to my mouth, but not blocking my mouth. Stop blocking my mouth! The arms were in a sad shape because everybody was always sitting on them, but they were pretty comfortable chairs. The book I was reading was this book I took out of the library by mistake. They gave me the wrong book, and I didn't notice it till I got back to my room. What do you mean they gave you the wrong book? How, do, how did libraries work in the 50s, dude? What are you talking about? They gave me Out of Africa by Isaac Dennison. I thought it was going to stink, but it didn't. It was a very good book. I'm quite illiterate, but I read a lot. My favorite author is my brother, DB. And my next favorite is Ring Lardner. Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Ring. I'll let your boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big lard in the building. My brother gave me a book by Ring Lardner for my birthday. Just before I went to Pensy. 
It had these very funny, crazy plays in it. And then it had this one story about a traffic cop that falls in love with this very cute girl that's always speeding, only he's married, the cop. So he can't marry her or anything. Then this girl gets killed because she's always speeding. That story just about killed me. What I like best is a book that's at least funny once in a while. I read a lot of classical books like The Return of the Native and all, and I like them. And I read a lot of war books and mysteries and all, but they don't knock me out too much. What really knocks me out is a book that, when you're done reading it, you wish the author that wrote it was a terrific friend of yours, and you could call him up on the phone whenever you felt like it. That doesn't happen much, though. I wouldn't mind calling this Isaac Dennison up and ring Lardner, except that DB told me he's dead. You take that book of Human Bondage by Somerset Mom. I read, oh, you take that book of Human Bondage by Somerset Mom, though? I read it last summer. It's a pretty good book and all, but I wouldn't want to call Somerset Mom up. I don't know. He just isn't the kind of guy I'd want to call up, that's all. I'd rather call old Thomas Hardy up. I like that Eustacia Vi. Um, so this is, this is, um, I like these. These are a good couple little, a little paragraphs here. So the, um, the hat is obviously very, um, where's the passage about the hat? I can't find it. Um, There you go. So, what we're talking about with this hat is symbolic a little bit, right? That's kind of the whole thing about this book, or is that just what, like, English teachers force us to do, you know? Did anybody ask J.D. Salinger what the fuck the hat means, you know what I mean? I don't think anybody really talking like that to these people, but whatever. Anyway, the hat's symbolic, right? Every time I see the book or anybody talks about Halden, this hat is mentioned. I'm sure it's going to come back, but... It's the red and black lumberjack. You know? Flat. Flat on top, covers the ears, got the bill. Red and black checker pattern. And... what I remember about the book and the vibes that I'm getting is that the author is doing this intentionally, right? He goes, I don't know, gives a good six to eight sentences about how he looks good in that hat and why he wears it that way, even though it's also corny. So all this talk about the corny stuff that he's irritated with, he's okay with doing himself, especially if it makes him look good. So anything that makes him feel confident, he's willing to overlook um, some of the sort of things that he criticizes. I think that's interesting. Um, and then right down here when he's talking about these books. What really knocks me out is a book that when you're done reading it, you feel like you want to call up the author and whatever, right? And then he continues to go up and compares more books that he didn't identify with. 
So I'm curious if any of these books have sort of, you know, if this is a deeper meaning with some of these. Like, I don't know anything about these books other than just by the title, right? So, oh, this one's about Africa. What, is he racist? Because he didn't think it was going to be good? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But what I think is interesting is that we got a huge paragraph here about how he felt connected to a certain author and he wants to call him up and talk to him, right? So, just, just to me, it seems more and more clear that they're trying to emphasize how badly Holden really desires um, connection with his peers. Anyway, I put on my new hat and sat down and started reading that book out of Africa. And I'd read it already, but I wanted to read certain parts over again. I'd only read about three pages, though, when I heard somebody coming through the shower curtains. Even without looking up, I knew right away who it was. It was Robert Ackley, this guy that roomed right next to me. There was a shower right between every two rooms in our wing, about, and about 85 times a day, old Ackley barged in on me. He was probably the only guy in the whole dorm besides me that wasn't down at the game. He hardly ever went anywhere. He was a very peculiar guy. He was a senior, and he'd been at Pensy the whole four years and all, but nobody ever called him anything except Ackley. Not even Herb Gale, his own roommate. See, there's the word Herb. I could have stretched that into do the daily dab, but I already smoked, and the daily dab's kind of whack anyway. Who are we kidding? <clears throat> Not even Herb Gale, his own roommate, ever called him ever called him Bob or even Ack. If he ever gets married, his own wife will probably call him Ackley. He was one of those very, very tall, round-shouldered guys. He was about 6'4", with lousy teeth. The whole time he roomed next to me, I never even once saw him brush his teeth. They always looked mossy and awful. Blech. I haven't brushed my teeth for the night yet, and I just feel... Ugh, I feel thick too. Gross. And he damn near made you sick if you saw him in the dining room with his mouth full of mashed potatoes and peas or something. And besides that, he had a lot of pimples. Not just on his forehead or his chin like most guys, but all over his whole face. And not only that, he had a terrible personality. He was also sort of a nasty guy. I wasn't too crazy about him, to tell you the truth. I could feel him standing on the shower ledge, right behind my chair, taking a look to see if Stradlater was around. He hated Stradlater's guts, and he never came into the room if Stradlater was around. He hated everybody's guts damn near. He came down off the shower ledge and came in the room. Hi, he said. He always said it like he was terrifically bored or terrifically tired. Hey, person who has written one of the most literary, literarily important books of all time. Maybe don't use terrifically as the same adjective. Adverb? Bored is not a verb, no. Adjective. Stop using the same adjective back to back. That's whack, dude. I don't, I'm a, rappers don't even do that. Come on. He didn't want you to think he was visiting you or anything. He wanted you to think he'd come in by mistake, for God's sake. Hi, I said, but I didn't look up from my book. With a guy like Ack, if you looked up 
from your book, you were a goner. You were a goner anyway, but not as quick if you didn't look up right away. He started walking around the room very slow and all, the way he always did, picking up your personal stuff off your desk and chiffonier. He always picked up your personal stuff and looked at it. Boy, could he get on your nerves sometime. What was the fencing, he said. He just wanted me to quit reading and enjoying myself. He didn't give a damn about the fencing. We win or what? He said. Nobody won. I said without looking up, though. What? He always made you say everything twice. And nobody won. I said. I sneaked a look. I sneaked a look. Sneaked a look. That's hard to find. I don't know. That's hard to say. I don't know why. Nobody won, I said. I sneaked a look to see what he was fiddling around with on my chiffonier. He was looking at this picture of this girl I used to go around with in New York, Sally Hayes. He must have picked up that goddamn picture and looked at it at least 5,000 times since I got it. He always put it back in the wrong place, too, when he was finished. He did it on purpose, you could tell. Nobody won. How come? I left the goddamn foils and stuff on the subway. I still didn't look up at him. On the subway, for Christ's sake? You lost them, you mean? We got on the wrong subway. I had to keep getting up to look at the goddamn map on the wall. He came over and stood right in my light. Hey, I said. I've read the same sentence about 20 times since you came in. Anybody else except Ackley would have taken the goddamn hint. Not him, though. Think they'll make you pay for him? He said. I don't know, and I don't give a damn. How about sitting down or something, Ackley kid? You're always right in my goddamn light. He didn't like it when you called him Ackley kid. He was always telling me I was a goddamn kid because I was 16 and he was 18. It drove him mad when I called him Ackley kid. That's kind of fire. I like, so like the pettiness of young teenagers, right? Like I love that he's like intentionally trying to piss him off because this dude's coming and like is irritating him. So he's like, I'm going to intentionally do some shit to make you mad. Watch this Ackley kid, you bitch. I love a good troll, man. He kept standing there. He's exactly the kind of guy that wouldn't get out of your light when you asked him to. He'd do it finally, but it took him a lot longer if you asked him to. What the hell you reading? He said. Goddamn book. He shoved my book back with his hand so that he could see the name of it. Any good? He said. This sentence I'm reading is terrific. I can be quite sarcastic when I'm in the mood. He didn't get it though. He started walking around the room again, picking up all my personal stuff and stradlators. Finally, I put my book down on the floor. You couldn't read. You couldn't read anything with a guy like Ackley around. It was impossible. I slid way the hell down in my chair and watched old Ackley making himself at home. I was feeling sort of tired from the trip to New York and all, and I started yawning. And then I started horsing around a little bit. Sometimes I horse around quite a lot just to keep from getting bored. What I did was, I pulled the old peak of my hunting hat around to the front, then pulled it way down over my eyes. That way, I couldn't see a goddamn thing. I think I'm going blind, I, I, I said in this very hoarse voice. See, I should have read that first. 
I would have said it that I think I'm going blind. I said in this very hoarse voice. Mother, darling, everything's getting so dark in here. You're nuts, I swear to God, Ackley said. Mother, darling, give me your hand. Why won't you give me your hand? For Christ's sake, grow up. I started groping around in front of me like a blind guy, but without getting up or anything. I kept saying, Mother, darling, why won't you give me your hand? I was only horsing around, naturally. That stuff gives me a bang sometimes. I wanna kinda st I wanna start using that. I love that fucking Yeah man, that shit gives me that bangs me up, bro. That gives me a bang, bro. Now that especially now that, that fucking energy drinks out there. Anyway. That stuff gives me a bang sometimes. Besides, I know it annoyed the hell out of old Ackley. He always brought out the old sadist in me. I was pretty sadistic with him quite often. Finally I quit though. I pulled the peak around to the back again and then relaxed. Who belongs to this? Ackley said. I, what the fuck, man? He out here talking like a Rasta, man. Who belongs to this? Fucking Rasta boy Ackley out here. He was holding my roommate's knee supporter up to show me. That guy Ackley, he'd pick up anything. He'd pick up your jock strap or something. I told him it was Stradlater's, so he chucked it on Stradlater's bed. He got it off Stradlater's chiffonier, so he chucked it on the bed. He came over and sat down on the arm of Stradlater's chair. He never sat down in a chair, just always on the arm. Where the hell did you get that hat? He said. New York. How much? A buck. You got robbed. He started cleaning his goddamn fingernails with the end of a mat. He was always cleaning his fingernails. It was funny in a way. His teeth were always mossy looking, and his ears were always dirty as hell. But he was always cleaning his fingernails. I guess he thought that made him a very neat guy. He took another look at my hat while he was cleaning them. Up home, we wear a hat like that to shoot deer in, for Christ's sakes. He said, that's a deer shooting hat. Like hell it is. I took it off and I looked at it, sort of closed one eye like I was taking aim at it. This is a people shooting hat, I said. I shoot people in this hat. Your folks know you got kicked out yet? Nope. Where the hell's Stradlater at anyway? Stradlater. Uh, down at the game. He's got a date. I yawned. I was yawning all over the place. For one thing, the room was too damn hot. It made you sleepy. At Pensy, you either froze to death or died of the heat. Huh, the great Stradlater. Ackley said. Hey, lend me your scissors a second, will you? You got them handy? No, I packed them already. They're way on top of the closet. Get him a second, will you? Ackley said, I got this hangnail I want to cut off. He didn't care if you'd pack something or not and had it way on top of the closet. I got them for him, though. Nearly got killed doing it, too. The second I opened the closet door, Stradlater's tennis racket in its wooden press and all fell right on my head. It made a big clunk and it hurt like hell. It damn near killed old Ackley, though. He started laughing in this very high falsetto voice. 
He kept laughing the whole time I was taking down my suitcase and getting the scissors out for him. Something like that. A guy getting hit on the head with a rock or something tickled the pants off of Ackley. You have a good sense of humor, Ackley, kid, I told him. You know what? I handed him the scissors. Let me be your manager. I'll get you on the goddamn radio. I sat down in my chair again. He started cutting his big, horny-looking nails. How about using the table or something, I said. Cut him over the table, will ya? I don't feel like walking on your crummy nails in my bare feet tonight. He kept right on cutting them over the floor, though. What lousy manners. I mean it. Who's, who's Stradlater's date? He said. He was always keeping tabs on who Stradlater was dating, even though he hated Stradlater's guts. I don't know. Why? No reason. Boy, I can't stand that son of a bitch. He's one son of a bitch I really can't stand. Oh, he's crazy about you. He told me he thinks you're a goddamn prince. I said. I call people a prince quite often when I'm horsing around. Keeps me from getting bored or something. He's got this superior attitude all the time, Ackley said. I just can't stand the son of a bitch. You'd think he... Do you mind cutting your nails over the table, huh? I said. I've asked you about 50. He's got this goddamn superior attitude all the time, Ackley said. I don't even think the son of a bitch is intelligent. He thinks he is. He thinks he's about the most... Ackley! For Christ's sake, will you please cut your crummy nails over the table? I've asked you 50 times. I'm honestly surprised he didn't say goddamn right there. He started cutting his nails over the table for a change. The only way he ever did anything was if you yelled at him. I washed him for a while. Then I said, The reason you're sore at Stradlater is because he said that stuff about brushing your teeth once a while. He didn't mean to insult you for crying out loud. He didn't say it right or anything, but he didn't mean anything insulting. All he meant was you'd look better and feel better if you sort of brushed your teeth once in a while. I brush my teeth. Don't give me that. No, you don't. I've seen you, and you don't, I said. I didn't say it nasty, though. <laughs> I felt sort of sorry for him in a way. I mean... It isn't too nice, naturally, if somebody tells you that you don't brush your teeth. Stradlater's alright. He's not too bad, I said. You don't know him, that's the trouble. I still say he's a son of a bitch. A conceited son of a bitch. <clears throat> I, like, I like the use of son of a bitch as one word. Super into that. Might be my next tattoo, you never know. Just kidding, my next tattoo is going to be Batty from Fern Gully. Probably on my forearm. I'm going to start the sleeves. I'm going to do uh, full sleeves on both arms. Obviously, that's how sleeves work. I'm going to do villains on the left arm and heroes on the right arm. It's going to be mostly like Disney and Pixar and like comic books and shit like that and cartoons. But there'll be a couple real people. Might get like a Hitler over there. Might get a fucking... Gandhi or something. I don't know. You don't know me. You don't know my life, kid. Ackley, kid. He's conceited. But he's very generous in some things. He really is. I said. Look. Suppose, for instance, 
Strad later was wearing a tie or something that you liked. Say he had a tie on that you liked a hell of a lot. I'm just giving you an example now. You know what he'd do? He'd probably take it off and give it to you. He really would. Or, you know what he'd do? He'd leave it on your bed or something. But he'd give you that goddamn tie. Most guys would probably just hell. Ackley said, if I had his dough, I would too. No, you wouldn't. I shook my head. No, you wouldn't, Ackley kid. If you had his dough, you'd be one of the biggest stop calling me Ackley kid. God damn it. I'm old enough to be your lousy father. No, you're not. Boy, he could be really aggravating sometimes. He never missed a chance to let you know when you were 16 and he was 18. In the first place, I wouldn't let you in my goddamn family, I said. Well, just cut out calling me. All of a sudden, the door opened, and old Stradlater barged in in a big hurry. He was always in a big hurry. Everything was a big deal. He came over to me and gave me these two playful as hell slaps on both cheeks, which is sometimes, which is something that can be very annoying. Listen, he said, you going out anywhere special tonight? I don't know, I might. What the hell is it doing out, snowing? He had snow all over his coat. Yeah, listen, if you're not going out anyplace special, how's about loaning me your houndstooth jacket? Who won the game? I said. It's only the half we're leaving, Stradlater said. No kidding. You're going to use your hound's tooth tonight or not? I spilled some crap all over my gray flannel. No, but I don't want you stretching it out with your goddamn shoulders and all, I said. We were practically, practically the same height, but heights? I wonder if that's a typo or that's how they said it in the 50s. We're practically the same height, but he weighed about twice as much as I did, and he had these very broad shoulders. I won't stretch it. He went over to the closet in a big, big hurry. How's your boy Ackley? He said to Ackley. He was a pretty, pretty, he was a pretty friendly guy. You gonna use your hound's tooth in that? I had to find that accent, find that accent again. Um, he was a pretty friendly guy, Stradlater. It was a pretty, it was a partly phony kind of friendly, but he at least always said hello to Ackley and all. Boom, plus one to the phony. <clears throat> Ackley just sort of grunted when he said how's your boy <clears throat> he wouldn't answer him but he didn't have guts enough to not at least grunt then he said to me I think I'll get going see you later okay I said he never exactly broke your heart when he went back to his own room old Stradlater started taking off his coat and tie and all oh that was um that was fucking Ackley that left Ackley just sort of grunted when he said, how's your boy? He wouldn't answer him, but didn't have guts enough. To, oh, so Ackley was a little coward and answered the boy with a grunt. And then he said to me, I think I'll get going. See you later. But Ackley leaves. Holden says, okay. He never exactly broke your heart when he went back to his own room. <clears throat> Sorry. Old Stradlater had started taking off his coat and tie and all. Yeah, I think I'll, maybe I'll take a fast shave, he said. He had a pretty heavy beard, he really did. Where's your date? I asked him. Oh, she's waiting in the annex. He went out of the room with his toilet kit and a towel under his arm, no shirt on or anything. He always walked around in his bare torso because he thought he had a damn good build. He did too. I have to admit it. You know, 
I think again, I could be reading too much into this and that might be a tendency for the whole book, but I'm looking for a lot of symbolism and imagery here. Uh, thematic imagery rather, thematic theme. What are they called? Literary themes. So, it's interesting that <clears throat> I wonder why Ackley seems like a phony and somebody he's not interested in um, associating with but then when Stradlater comes in the guy maybe that's me maybe I'm doing it but it instantly seems like Stradlater is a much more a much cooler person and somebody that Olden prefers but doesn't Stradlater seem equally as phony with the forced friendliness of the person that they both don't like asking to borrow his homeboy's clothes leaving his date in the annex walking around with no shirt isn't that some isn't that some shit that somebody like Holden would see as phony interesting parallels there we're gonna go ahead and stop it here at chapter four we got the first three chapters out of the way um if you've listened this far i've got good news you're really looking good for that 75 dollars because i think one of the questions is going to be who is holden's roommate and you would have had to listen to the end to get that answer so this is Check Your Shelf, baby. We out here doing what we can to make literature, make reading interesting and entertaining. This is season two. And I'm really glad that y'all came through again. It's been, this is week nine now. And the fact that anybody is still listening to what I got to say is mind blowing to me, so. I appreciate all the love, I appreciate all the views, I appreciate all the constructive criticisms, and I am always open to hear anything you got to say, any dialogue about how I'm doing or what I should be doing in the future. So if you've got advice, I'd love to hear it. I appreciate y'all, I love you, through death, in life, and always, it's your boy Gimme. Oh, fuck, I forgot. I'm going to change my name to something else. I've been gimme for so long, but it seems too aggressive for who I am. But, it's you, boy. I appreciate y'all, man. I'm going to see y'all. I'm going to catch y'all later in the menjay.